With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. The past seven days have been a true roller coaster ride in China. Presidents Xi Jinping and Joe Biden have had their first call since the Russian invasion of Ukraine on February 24th. Beijing has vowed to support financial markets after a number of Chinese stocks crashed recently. There have also been some dramatic developments in the country's fight against the coronavirus, some of which are very tragic. An even more serious crash and a terrible tragedy. In breaking news, a China Eastern flight from Kunming to Guangzhou, with 132 people aboard, has crashed in mountainous Guangxi on Monday, March 21st. We regret to report that there is so far no sign of any survivors. The plane was a Boeing 737, but not the 737 MAX that was grounded after two fatal crashes. This was the worst airline disaster in China in three decades. Both Caixin and SubChina will have more on this as details become available. U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping held a virtual meeting last week to discuss, among other things, the war in Ukraine. On Friday, the Chinese president told his U.S. counterpart that the war, quote, isn't what we want to see, and has called for the two nations to share responsibilities for world peace. Xi made the comments in the first video call between the pair since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. According to a readout of the call released on the website of the White House, Biden described the implications and consequences if China provides material support to Russia as it conducts its brutal attacks against Ukrainian cities and civilians. Biden also reiterated that U.S. policy on Taiwan has not changed and emphasized that the U.S. continues to oppose any unilateral changes to the status quo. And that's not the only news on Sino-U.S. relations. In a recent commentary published in the Washington Post, China's ambassador to the U.S. hit out at Washington for spreading disinformation over Beijing's role in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. According to Ambassador Qin Gang, false claims included that China had prior knowledge of Russia's military action and demanded that Russia delay it until the Winter Olympics concluded. Another was that Russia sought military assistance from China. The Chinese ambassador said such allegations, quote, 
serve only the purpose of shifting blame to and slinging mud at China. He added that the war does no good for China and said that if Beijing had been notified, the country would have tried its best to prevent the conflict. In other news, China's economy performed better than expected in the first two months of 2022. Last week, the National Bureau of Statistics released economic data for the January to February period. The figures beat expectations in areas such as year-on-year growth in fixed asset investment, retail sales, and industrial production. However, economists have warned that these seemingly upbeat numbers may not spell a strong recovery as they look toward more easing policies by the government. Analysts pointed out that comparing this year's data with those of last year or the two-year average could both be problematic for two key reasons. First, economic activities in the first two months are usually disrupted by the week-long Lunar New Year holiday, but the so-called stay-put policy last year contributed to a strong industrial recovery. Second, the two-year average data were skewed lower by the low readings in early 2020, when most economic activities were halted to contain the spread of the coronavirus. China's top securities regulator vowed to spare no effort to maintain the stable operation of the capital market and keep overseas listings channels open. The China Securities Regulatory Commission, or CSRC, made the pledge last week after a meeting of China's top financial policy committee. This sends a strong signal that Beijing intends to stabilize financial markets and bolster investor confidence in response to recent market sell-offs. The news comes after U.S.-traded shares of Chinese companies crashed over a series of days recently after U.S. regulators named five Chinese companies that would be kicked off from American stock markets for failing to meet audit requirements. Scandal-plagued HNA Group has once again found itself in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons. That's after HNA Aviation Group Chairman Bao Qifa was taken away by Chinese police. Several people close to the unit of HNA Group confirmed the news with Caixin. Both HNA's chairman and CEO were taken away by police last September in a probe of suspected criminal offenses. HNA Group controls one of China's largest airlines. The group got into trouble after it veered from its core aviation business early in the last decade and went on a global shopping spree that included buying stakes in Hilton Worldwide Holdings, airport retail giant Dufresne, and Deutsche Bank. Following years of highly leveraged global expansion, HNA Group found itself struggling to pay back a mountain of debt after the government tightened financing rules and oversight of overseas asset purchases in 2017. In other business news, Beijing is continuing to tighten its grip over fandom culture even more. Its top cyberspace watchdog is now soliciting feedback from the public on draft regulations designed to protect minors from parts of the internet deemed harmful. The news comes as the country continues to rein in the internet sector and celebrity culture. According to the draft rules, those offering online gaming, live streaming, audio, visual, and social media services will be required to take measures to stop, quote, excessive focus on viewership, 
According to the regulator, that's apparently because such services may distort the values of miners. The impact of the move may be felt widely as China has more than 180 million internet users under the age of 18. It seems to have been a rough week for Tencent. Sources from the company told Caixin that Tencent is planning to cut jobs. According to the sources, the move will affect two of its six major business divisions, though the size of the workforce reduction will be smaller than expected. These sources said that the tech giant will cut jobs mainly in its cloud and smart industries business group and the platform and content group. The decision reflects slowing growth momentum of related businesses. In recent days, word circulated that the enterprise was planning to terminate as many as 30% of its employees, sparking concerns over its business amid growing headwinds facing China's tech sector. Let's turn now to Nandini Venkata, Caixin Global's podcast producer and co-producer of this program. Welcome back, Nandini. Hey, Kaiser. Great to be here. So, Nandini, China, as I think everyone is aware by now, is experiencing its worst outbreak of COVID-19 since the very early days, uh, two years ago, when the pandemic really started. Yeah, that's quite right. So, you know, since, of course, the initial coronavirus crisis erupted um, in Wuhan in the start of 2020, Uh, and then subsided. Um, Since then, the country has had sporadic flare-ups. But in general, it always managed to keep the coronavirus at bay um, since 2020. But this time, the resurgence is looking different. So by late last week, China's overall tally of COVID infections this month alone reached over 28,000. And various parts of the country have had to really, really ramp up their COVID restrictions. Uh, in particular, that includes the northeastern province of Jilin, um, as well as two very important cities, Shenzhen and Shanghai. And of course, as um, many of people listening in will already know, Uh, The latest infection spike in China has been mainly driven by um, Omicron. So the Omicron variant is, of course, known for being highly infectious. And it's created a major challenge um, for China because uh, the Omicron variant is, uh, I guess you could say, rather stealthy in nature. And it has a relatively short course of disease that makes it tricky to detect early detections um, through nucleic acid tests and also to do contact tracing. Speaking of Jilin, I understand that things in that province have turned really tragic. Yeah, that's right. So there have definitely been some very, very sad developments in the past week in Jilin. So first of all, on Friday, the health authorities confirmed that there were two COVID deaths in the province. These actually mark the first... COVID fatalities in more than a year in all of China. And then there was also a really horrible case where a sick four-year-old child died in the province. That's after she was refused hospitalization because she couldn't immediately provide a negative coronavirus test result. Uh, From what we understand, the girl's family had taken her to the hospital for treatment She is said to have had laryngitis, but it seems that in order for her to be admitted to the hospital, 
not only did um, she need to have her COVID test results um, ready, but also her entire family would have to take a COVID test and produce a negative result. So it was during this wait for the test results that very sadly the girl's condition deteriorated and she died. We heard that the hospital reached a settlement with the family and one relative described this as a reasonable settlement. But as you can imagine, this story really did ignite uh, once again the debate over how COVID rules are enforced, especially when it comes to hospitals dealing with medical emergencies like this one. That is just terribly tragic indeed. Uh, Now, Nandini, I understand that another big development from the past week is that China has revised its disease control and prevention measures in relation to COVID. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, that's correct. So last week, the authorities made uh, quite a few revisions to the nation's COVID-19 guidelines. And um, these changes relate to diagnostic criteria treatments and quarantine requirements. So in terms of new treatments, China has added Pfizer's COVID pill uh, that's called Paxlovid. It's also included a monoclonal neutralizing antibody therapy, which was developed by a Chinese company called Brie Biosciences. The updated guidelines have also revised criteria for infected patients to be hospitalized So the big news is now people with mild symptoms um, won't have to go into hospital. They will instead be placed in centralized quarantine sites. And the change uh, reflects the fact that most Omicron-infected patients don't require medical intervention. Experts say that this move will also allow hospitals to focus resources on patients who are in need. And... This revision was made to address the rising Omicron outbreaks. The Omicron variant is, of course, quite different to the original coronavirus strain. I guess it's also worth pointing out that some are now speculating whether these updates to the COVID protocols um, may suggest a step towards more relaxed virus controls. Speaking of relaxing COVID restrictions, it's important to point out that, like in Hong Kong, There are a lot of elderly people who are very vulnerable, obviously, where vaccination rates are still relatively low, uh, which suggests that there are real limits to how much China can actually relax existing restrictions. Um, Is that is that right? Yeah, that that is definitely correct. So official data shows that only around half of Chinese people aged 80 or above are fully vaccinated. Likewise, out of the roughly 264 million Chinese who are older than 60, there's an incredible 52 million who have yet to be fully vaccinated. It seems that uh, for various reasons, the elderly in China may have been reluctant to get the jab. From what I understand, this is very likely because many elderly people didn't think that there was a real urgency to do so because China um, for the past two years has recorded quite low numbers of cases um, thanks of course to the zero COVID policy which relied more on social distancing, quarantine, case tracing and so on 
And this is, of course, um, you know, a really concerning issue. The elderly, of course, are at greater risk um, from getting seriously sick or dying from the coronavirus. So what are Chinese public health authorities trying to do to address this problem? So right now, the health authorities are, you know, really determined to get that um, vaccination rate among the elderly up. We've heard about officials reaching out to keep groups and nursing homes in order to talk to older people about their concerns about the vaccines and also discuss any potential impact on underlying diseases that uh, these people may have. But as you've just said, in the face of such figures, it seems very likely that China still wants to keep some strict controls in place to stop the outbreak from getting out of hand and contain it as much as possible. So I personally don't expect to see the country take similar actions as other nations and start, you know, really rolling back virus controls. Um, I think, for example, restrictions on international travel are going to stay in place for the time being. Okay, thanks, Nandini, for walking us through that. Thank you, Kaiser. And we'll speak to you soon. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Lee Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of our new podcasts on the Seneca Network, like China Stories, featuring the best writing on China from around the web, and the China Sports Insider podcast. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SupChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at SupChina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.